because we feel like we're connected through technology, through social media, through all these aspects, but we're more disconnected than ever on a primitive level. In a society where we're constantly bombarded with so much sensory stimulus, the process becomes not getting you to listen, but stripping away all the noise <laughs> so that you can. And it's this universe where in the near future, all physical human touch is controlled and regulated by the government. These notions and these themes that, oh, we could get to that point if we're not sure about choice and about power and a responsibility. Touch is actually the first sense we developed in the everything world. we know about life and about existence is measured through the senses. So. What does it mean to be human? Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. Imagine if human touch were a felony. What would that world look like? And what does it mean to be human? Ben Cox of Trailblazer Productions joins us today for an adventure through dystopian futures, cultural change, and the presently evolving idea of human connection. Now, more than ever, the questions of our common humanity deserve attention. This conversation frames the idea that immersive experience is becoming an incredible tool for the exploration of these questions. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, all right. So we, we just came off of discussing the impending question, but for anybody who might not know, the first question as is tradition is the fictional or fantasy world. If you could spend a non-specific amount of time living in a fictional or a fantasy world of some variety, um, assuming that the danger is not life-threatening at any point in time, I think that's the qualifier <laughs> there. Where right. would your head go? Um, so this was definitely a more challenging question than I expected it to be, but I appreciate it where it took my mind. Um, cause it made me think about the different types of things I'm drawn to, the different types of things I like to experience and even in what inspires me in my own work. And I had to narrow it down to, I think what really stuck out to me and I haven't watched it in a couple of seasons, I have to say, but I watched a lot of the original seasons of the walking dead. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And what really stands out about that show and what they did well, um, at least for the time that I watched it, was that it wasn't like your traditional zombie movie. It wasn't a show about zombies. It was a show about humans. And the zombie apocalypse, the zombie world is just the backdrop. But it's about how humans react to a set of circumstances that force them to question their relationships, their definition of humanity, their definition of morality. And I think it did that very well in a way that people hadn't seen as just, oh, it's a monster movie where we don't care about the characters and the zombies are just eating everybody. Because we have a lot, of, we have infinite amount of movies that are like that. But what this kind of revolutionized the genre in a way 
was let's focus on making this feel real. How would, you know, how would you react if you woke up and all this was going on around you? What would your, you know, survival tactics be? And I think it would be very interesting to experience a world like that where you have to actually rely on your intelligence, your skills. Um, I've always been interested in kind of uh, stuff that forces you to remember what it's like to actually be present and be human. I read an article a while ago about how we as a species are kind of becoming less intelligent and because we're so unself-reliant. We don't have to retain information. We don't have to retain knowledge and skills because we have our phones in our pocket and we, and we can just look up anything. Oh, I don't need to know that. I can just look up. I don't need to know how to get somewhere. I have GPS. And I feel like that has, technology is great, but it's also becoming this sort of detrimental effect where there's this disconnect and this unself-reliance where if you know everything went dark and all the technology went dark, how would people actually survive? Would they know survival yeah. skills? Would they know would how to survive in the woods? Yeah. I certainly know I would not. I would be <laughs> Everything would be bad. Yeah. So that concept really intrigues me, I think. Definitely. And actually, specifically, the note of humanity, I really want to get back into there. So I appreciate, mm-hmm. the, or I appreciate the way that you um, kind of backed into that one and the way that For that sure. ties back in, certainly. But before we venture in that di- direction, um, could you potentially explain for anybody who's listening that does not necessarily um, find themselves familiar with your upcoming productions of Touch and Touch Incarnation, what what are these shows? What are you creating out there? So what we're doing with Touch and Touch Incarnation, there are a couple of immersive productions that are both set in the same thematic universe. And it's this universe where in the near future, all physical human touch is controlled and regulated by the government, which means you cannot physically touch another person, even give them a handshake, even a pat on the back poke them on the shoulder. Any skin-to-skin contact is a felony if it has not been pre-approved by the government, if you haven't applied for it, if they haven't given you the paperwork. And that means even married couples, they can't be intimate. They have to schedule intimacy sessions at a facility. Um, The government dictates if you can have children, how many children you can have. And it's this world where fear and paranoia has taken over to the point where you know, sexual assault and, and crime, the government has gotten to this point of, okay, if the kids can't play with their toys nicely, no one gets to play with their toys sort of mentality. And it's, it's, it's scary because it, a lot of the themes we explore are relevant to today. It's, 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 I call it a, you know, a, a, a conceptual horror piece because it's these notions and these themes that, oh, we could get to that point if we're not careful, if we don't, you know, right. really pay attention. So what I wanted to do is I really wanted to create an immersive experience um, that plays with traditional theater conventions, even plays with immersive conventions. We're trying things that I've never personally seen done before um, and just create an experience that is altogether different and that people don't really know what to expect, but hopefully really get challenged by and walk out, not just, not just being, oh, that was cool, but actually being empowered and, and 
you know, asking themselves questions about choice and about power and about, you know, responsibility. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I obviously read the press release when that came out um, for the shows, but listening to you say that and describe that dystopian world definitely had a a markedly different um, effect as an observer, as a listener there. Because like Mm. reading it, it's like, I don't know, there's a different emotional connection once you add vocal tone and that kind of, even that degree of more personal connection. And then hearing that suddenly it's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Right. Not that I didn't get that before, but it it resonated on a different level because that is kind of scary. And honestly, like it does sound less far fetched when you say it um, out loud. It's odd. Yeah. Well, and even some of the because I've I've probably written more into I've been producing different types of works. This is the first fully 100% truly immersive thing that we've done, but I've, I've dabbled and I've done avant-garde and experimental stuff over the years in different capacities. But working on this, we exp- I wrote so many notes and really challenged myself to explore, okay, if this were enacted, if six months from now, it was a new law that you had to go to a facility and you had to get something, what we do in the show is it's called a skindicator. And it's this, basically, it's this pill that you take that dissolves in your bloodstream and it attaches to your DNA and your hormones and it creates a unique trigger point. So if someone touches you, your skin changes color and their skin changes color, different colors. So they can, you know, register who is the initiator and who is the receiver. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, if this became a law and this became a thing, how would it affect every aspect of our society? And you start realizing how many different things are affected. You know, most sports become eliminated in the way that we know them because they're contact sports. So the rise of robotics, like there was that movie, I think with Hugh Jackman about like boxing robots, you know, it becomes Mm -hmm. real. You know, we start, you know, watching sports where it's robots versus robots. You know, we, you know, we have to... When when someone had one of the things we explore in 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 touch is what does it mean to be pregnant and have a child in this world, where you're given three months of of graduated contact and then you have to give up your child to a robot handmaid to take care of it and raise it. You oh can't touch man, your yeah, yeah. You know all these different capacities where some people don't have you know because in this world economic status and race and all these things still come into play. So some people are not approved for children. Oh, you're not the right, you know, income level. You're not the right, you know, racial background. You're not whatever. If you don't get the right approval to get the right quote unquote social credit score, um, you don't get certain quote unquote benefits. And that's huh. something that's something that was very interesting to me because that's something that's already happening in China. Social credit scores is something that is actually already happening in certain parts of right, China. Right, right. And happening in a transparent way in China. But yeah. I would argue there's definitely some kind of weighted system that has to do with attention and social interaction that mm-hmm. is potentially less than obvious here. But then, of course, you have just sheer number of followers on Instagram as yes. a metric. And it's like, yeah, it still does not carry as much weight. It certainly does, but not everybody cares about that. It's not this universal thing as of yet, which I would argue is definitely a positive thing. But it does manifest in other ways and in every way. We like to count things in that way. Definitely. And the scary thing about it, because the social credit score thing in China, you know, a few people know about it, but a lot of people I'll mention it to have never heard of it. 
you know, and I, I think part of that stems from at least in America where it's, it's a broad generalization, but we're sort of insular as a country in that. And, and I think this again stems from governmental influence and everything. We, we maintain that there's America and everybody else. And a lot of times we're not aware of all the things that are happening in other countries that, oh, this actually does affect everyone. This does, this could get out of control because the whole, it's, it's being run in certain cities right now, but they want to run it out in the entire nation of China by the end of next year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy when you think about that, that this is something that could actually be, you know, prominent to where people can't buy plane or train tickets if their score is too low. They can't get good loans on, you know, bank loans if their score is too. And it's such an arbitrary seeming system, but it speaks to the sort of Orwellian mentality that is increasingly creeping up in more and more facets of different societies around the world. Yeah, that's the truth. But then, of course, the other side of that argument, and this is very much a devil's advocate at this point, is the whole mm-hmm. kind of concept that at some point technology will advance far enough to the point where you could have something of destructive potential, massive right. destructive potential that could be assembled in the course of a few days with parts from your hardware store. Like as technology continues to move along and then the second that happens, then suddenly the arguments to that kind of um, that kind of like hyper surveillance state, Mm. the balance of that morality within that argument shifts a little bit. Like I said, playing devil's advocate here, but that's kind of the the line of thinking that I've heard crop up um, next to this particular conversation a few times. Right. And that makes sense. And it's, you know, it's. The other, you know, bringing up the technological aspect, I, <laughs> I sometimes half joke that the, the day the Terminators become real is because they've convinced us they can make our lives easier. <laughs> right, right. You know, Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll give. Well, oh yeah, you can. You can. You know, give me an alert on when my food's ready. You can go carry my packages to my door on your drone. You can do all these things. You're like, okay, cool, cool. And the side effect of that is what I mentioned earlier, the complacency we're being lulled into as a species. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I remember, do you ever see the movie WALL-E? Um, uh, yes. The Pixar yes, movie. And I remember- Phenomenal movie. Yes. And you remember how like at that point, humans can't even really walk. They're just floating around in little hubs because they've become so, you know- I mean, part of it is their own, you know, destruction of their species, essentially. But you see, I I remember, it's been a minute since I've seen it, but I remember just that notion where, you know, you can't even walk. You're just so helpless because you've become so unself-reliant. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's scary. I think it's a scary thing that if people are not mindful of, you know, and are not careful of, and I know it's a broad, you know, kind of scary, you know, thing that well, aspect, if people are not, I would actually say of, that there is, there's know, a little bit and more, not there's a little bit more specificity in that because, um, my head goes to, uh, cannot remember which particular episode it is, but one of Dan Carlin's hardcore history episodes hmm. where he talks about the silk slippers, um, silk slippers theory that societies often decay when 
the cis or the culture itself, the system supports the culture to such a degree that people don't have to worry about, you know, being self-sufficient or stressing about external forces and struggling to survive. And then suddenly I think he was referencing the Rome, the concept of Rome falling to the barbarians at the gate because Rome got squishy and complacent. And then the barbarians at the gate who had had to struggle for, you know, every bit their whole lives then had this significant advantage over them that was eventually able to outweigh the organizational advantage that, Rome had on said barbarians. Now he also qualifies that with there's a lot of waffling back and forth whether or as to the legitimacy of that concept, but it definitely rings with a certain degree of logic there for sure. I d- there's yeah, there's definitely something that makes sense about that because I think there's something to be said for challenging it, a set of challenges promotes desire and a will to fight in a way that you know a a leader or a species or a group of people who have become comfortable in their quote unquote ivory tower don't quite it's like who who needs it more who wants it more you know right, right. you look at it even even in, in certain the whole notion of sports teams like oh everyone roots for that kind of underdog you know where they're like, oh, the team who that's won five championships, whatever. Everyone wants to see them fall. Everyone wants to see that team come up and take them down, you know? Right, right. It's like the joke that everyone hates the Golden State Warriors, not because, you know, because they're, they've won three out of four or whatever, you know, because not because people actually hate them, but because, oh, they're always going to win. So let's see someone take them down kind of thing, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You certainly. know? Very um, much so. And I've heard that e- that's even more pronounced in other in other countries. Um, I can't yeah. remember. It was a friend of mine, uh, older British guy, stupid, sharp fella, um, just traveled the world, was telling me that the underdog thing is pronounced here. But specifically mm-hmm. in the UK, mm-hmm. um, that's an even bigger factor. And I'm not sure what that's about, but I'm like, huh, that's really neat. Interesting. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, we still love an underdog story here, but yeah, um, definitely. all right. So, um, would you be down at this point now that we have meandered down that particular path for quite some time? <laughs> Absolutely appreciative of it. Um, of course. but to jump into the make it immersive segment, let's do it. Speaking to The Walking Dead, how would you, with your current tool belt, work towards making The Walking Dead a reality? Um, Potentially coming up against the issue of not being able to source, you know, potentially hundreds of zombie or of actors (laughs) to play zombies. Right. So this was kind of a challenging experiment because I started thinking about the different types of, on a very broad scale, immersive ways in which I've already seen either specifically The Walking Dead um, done or just the zombie concept done. Because um, here in here in California at Universal Studios, the theme park, they do an annual event called Halloween Horror Nights. 
Um, and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's a horror event, you know, where they create mazes uh, based off of different properties. And they've for several years now done a maze based off of The Walking Dead. Um, and so that's a very traditional way of doing, you know, a haunt a haunt walkthrough um, concept. And then I've thought about um, there are places where they do zombie runs, where it's like a, a you run several miles with flags attached to your belt, and people are running after you as zombies. Oh yeah, I've always you wanted have, to do one of those. I know, I, I'm same, and I haven't had the chance to. But so you're experiencing what it's like to run from zombies, um, and you get fit doing it. I guess <laughs> when you have your life to run for. Right, right. I'd like the, to say that I just haven't done it because I haven't had time, but I also am not sure how I fare <laughs> running from zombies through the course of five k. <laughs> right. So that's an interesting premise. And then you have ones where, um, you know, I, the the whole – I thought about the escape room concept of what if you have to escape a room in X amount of time and – because this is where my mind went, where you're not so much up against the clock. I mean you are up against the clock, but the clock is a zombie that's slowly breaking into the room. Yeah, where yeah. That's, that's honestly where my mind went is like what if you could make it – where the whole time, like the the performer playing the zombie has different checkpoints they have to get through in the hour or whatever. So you constantly have that visual presence of someone getting closer and getting closer and getting closer. And if you're not out by the hour, they're in the room with you. And, yeah. you know, I thought that w- that could be an interesting way of taking it. Um but then I also thought about there's like survival skill schools. I think they did this uh, with like Hunger Games at one point um, when that movie was that trilogy or that series was coming out. Someone created like a like a summer camp for kids that was about survival techniques. You like like you learned oh, archery. No yeah, way. you learned archery. You learned um, I don't remember all, but it was all skills that. It was like a survival course, but they kind of tied it into the popularity of the Hunger Games to promote it to like teenagers and preteens and stuff. Right, right. And I was like, that could also work in the world of The Walking Dead because it's the same thing. How would you survive? How would you, you know, know how to scavenge for food and what to use, what's flammable, what's what's the type of ammunition, what's dead ammo, you know, all these kinds of things. How to know about, you know, when to be quiet and how to, you know, be aware of your environments and hiding points and all this kinds of stuff. So I think there's, to answer your question and narrow it down to one, <laughs> I don't, it's, it's challenging because there's a lot of ways you could take it, but you could even create a whole, I mean, this is a broad undertaking. Um, and I don't know what resources you would need to do it, but to combine like a whole, day long event where you train people and then you put them in an escape, you know, course. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think we're going to start seeing more of that in immersive too. people being willing to commit larger chunks of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the more that people, you know, because immersive as a genre, if you want to call it that does have such a rabid fan base, I feel like in a great way, the way, the same way that horror does. Because people love that tactile and sensation, that that experience where you're forced to be present. You're forced to act and react and be – you can't just like sit there and fall asleep on – you know, and look at your phone. You have to be present. 
And I yeah. think there's a a need and a response that people have to those type of experiences when done well, that is very, it's just going to, like you said, it's just going to grow and it's just going to become more elaborate. And, you know, hopefully these type of experiences will continue to evolve in different and unique ways. Yeah. Uh, certainly, hopefully. I mean, yeah, I've certainly been, I've been running that way. I'm going to keep saying it. Um, with the right I, budget. I there's, <laughs> yeah, with the right budget, but also there's the there's a slight chance that our culture is just like a little bit too far beyond saving and this thing that requires so much human <laughs> connection is just not going to catch on. They're like, oh, could have meaningful human collection yeah. you know, for the price of a ticket, but uh, no. Nah. That's, that's, that's true. And, well, and you know, it's, there's that brings up a very interesting challenge from a you know not to deviate too much but well it brings up an interesting no no please of part of the challenges of promoting immersive works and interactive works because it's already it's already inherently and i've talked about this you know years ago one of the challenges of promoting even traditional theater and as, as being the creator who decided to name their experience Touch, I think that you probably <laughs> can speak quite a bit to how tricky that t- marketing, the marketing can be yeah. in some points. I mean, you saw our website, you saw the Q&A section and the, you know, the disclaimer. And, and it's like you have to, you have to, there's, I mean, so I'll, I'll start it with this. The, the, the cast that I've been working with, we have a great cast. It's an amazing group of people. Um, but we started, have been starting training and workshopping since May. Um, right, right. Because not only is creating something immersive, you have so many variables. You have the show is different from night to night based on how your audience reacts. But you have to get them trained in this way of interacting with people, especially in our shows that are such they're, – they're, they're including all five senses. So when you go to them, you literally are going to be – touched you're going to experience smells you're going to experience you know different types of visual and aural sensation audible sensations and you know even taste things and everyone's going to react to that differently like oh but i gotta eat stuff or wait i don't wait you're gonna touch me how are you gonna touch me and you and and these are all fair concerns from an audience person who has going in not you know not blind but you don't know what to expect and that's fair. So you have to find a way to establish the scenario and put an audience in a place of trust. Trust is one of the most important components because if the audience doesn't trust you and they don't know what the parameters are, they will not respond in the way you want them to. They will not allow themselves to let go in the way you want and need them to. So we've really explored a lot of the things of the psychology of immersive performance, the psychology of the senses, psychology of touch so that we can hopefully take audiences on a journey that will stick with them and they will feel empowered by not, you know, scared of. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. That trust is a really big component. Um, You said you dug into some of the research there specifically, which I've definitely begun that curve as well. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, what did that process look like for you? Cause I honestly, I've been struggling trying to figure out where to even start with that. (laughs) Well, oh, it's, it's been a long, it's been a long process. Um, but very 
interesting. Um, well, part of part of what I explored was just the psychology of touch itself, and just how we as a species um, react to and need touch. Um, touch is the act is actually the first sense we develop in the womb. It's um, because we feel our our mother's heartbeat through the amniotic fluid. We feel the vibrations, so that's the first sensation we experience, but even before birth, and just the exploration of how physical human contact on a biological level is something that's so necessary and needed um, as humans. You explore, you know, just how that can, you know, help with, you know, all kinds of physical and, and even, you know, conditions of, you know, state of mind and, just giving someone a hug or a, a holding their hand or, you know, intimacy, even in non, you know, not just between, you know, not just a sexual intimacy between partners, but a physical intimacy that is based on trust is something that helps us physically and mentally. And you look into, you know, as a child, children who are held and, and spoken to and, Versus, you know, ones who are not and how that affects just the way the brain develops and the way their their health is and all these different aspects. And what ties that into just observing our society today, I think there's there's a real need for that more than ever because we feel like we're connected through technology, through social media, through all these aspects but we're more disconnected than ever on a primitive level. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, one of the things, you know, that we want to do in this show and in this process is give people a chance to, you know, go back to one of the one of the themes we explore is what does it mean to be human? And everything we know about life and about existence is measured through the senses. So getting people a chance to just isolate each sense and experience in a, experience it in a new and unique way. I, I, I say that particularly with incarnation, because it's an experience designed for one person at a time. I say it's this sort of, you know, therapy spa slash interactive radio drama <laughs> where people just get to let go for 20, 25 minutes and go on this journey, go on a story, but be taken care of in a way that you wouldn't even get, you know, at a spa or a, or a massage. You know, it's, it's such a unique experience that I guarantee people will, you know, have, have, have not experienced in the way they'll experience it in this, um, you know. So I think that's something that's very... Like I've, I've, you know, in rehearsal, we have the different cast members go through the experience themselves because I, I make them go through everything. I'm like, you need to know what it, what it feels like before you, you know, put something yeah, else certainly. Um, and I've, you know, I've done it a couple of times myself and different casts have done it various number of times and getting their feedback about what worked, what didn't, what kind of sensations do you, did you get? What, it, where did it take you mentally and emotionally, um, has been very, uh, helpful and it's been very exciting to see oh we have something really cool here we have something you know really unique and it, it's exciting to I'm really just excited to have people get to experience it and see 
you know, how, where it takes them. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so, uh, all right. I want to wrap back around to, um, what it means to be human because it makes complete sense that that is something that, uh, you guys are exploring throughout the creation process here, but also was word for word. One of the questions I had for you. So I do want to dig into mm. that a little bit. Um, before we jump to that though, um, I'm curious on the note of the research and kind of you're looking into the details in that way. Um, is there any any particular resource, book, website, article, or anything of that nature that you would um, point people to on the more um, more kind of scientific side of this this particular world of immersion? Um, you know, it's. That's a good question. And if I think of something, I'll send you a link. <laughs> um, but a lot of the a lot of the resources I found have been patched together from articles, uh, different, you know, and uh, off the top of my head, thinking about those articles, I'm sure I could find them. But I, it's just it kind of putting together different other people's experience and and, and seeing the listening to other immersive creators and other companies and experiencing other people's immersive work and going, Oh, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. Um, this is what we need to be aware of and, you know, how you kind of allow the audience to be part of the experience because you're, they are part of the experience. You are interacting with an audience as another, you know, another I don't know if I want to use the word performer, but you're the, the show evolves based on how the audience responds. Um, so a lot of the research, I guess, that I've done and tool toolbox that I've kind of accumulated is from, you know, trial and error uh, from my own works and from other people's works and just kind of putting together, you know, yeah. stuff from that. Yeah. <laughs> but as to, one, as, as to one resource, yeah. as to one resource, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should all get together and write it. <laughs> oh, I'm so game. I'm so game. Um, and honestly, that's a question that I have th thrown out there a few times. Um, kind of knowing that just, just hoping that at some point in time something <laughs> will turn up and I'll be like, there's a mystery oh, tome somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The mystery tome of immersive experience. Um, <laughs> not sure it exists in, in any cohesive <laughs> and coalesced form. But I think really at this point in time, it is much more, it's just an experiential thing, especially because there's, there's no one set definition for yeah. immersive entertainment, immersive theater. Like it's so many things and also so few things depending on your definition that it really is just kind of experiential and has to be attached to what it is that you're doing particularly. So, and I think, I think yeah, that's yeah. part of, I think that's part of what's so exciting about it right now. This, this, you know, this time we're in and this place we're in is that we're all as immersive creators, experimenters right now. We're, we're experimenting with this new, thing that we see has impact and has, you know, at least I know over here in the past three, four or five years, I've seen really blow up in tons of new companies and relatively new companies creating things of all different styles and genres. And it's so exciting to go out and be like, Ooh, how, how can we 
create a new way for audiences to experience a story and to experience, you know, these types of themes and these concepts. And it's, it's, it's exciting to see the work being created by all these different, you know, groups and companies. Yeah. Yeah. Most certainly. Um, I've definitely heard it or a few different folks at this point, like kind of express, they feel like it's somewhere comparable to like the beginning of film where it's just this completely unexplored medium um, or largely unexplored medium anyway. Right. Definitely. Which, which, you know, and it goes back to the challenge of also explaining what it is to someone who's not in the world or hasn't experienced something and you tell them, Oh, let's go, go to this immersive thing or this immersive, you know, experience. What is so what, what is it? Right. Right. I'm I'm just (laughs) hoping that like, that's just going to get intuitively easier. People will start to get more familiar. They'll have done something more than just have played like a single escape room and like everything will just get better. I I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that that's that's (laughs) our job at this point. We have to figure out how to like walk people, hold people's hand through that process. Yeah. Which is fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Without a doubt, without a doubt. And there is definitely something particularly wonderful about introducing someone to something once again. And I, by the way, I yeah. keep mentioning escape rooms. I almost I, I realize that it could be considered in this disparaging um, light or context that that is not the intent no. at all. I'm just saying it's, it's what's something it's something that most people are very, very familiar with. And definitely. it's becoming or being used an example in this context. And this is for anybody who might be listening um, from any of the amazing escape room creators or incredible escape rooms out there. Just want you to know Definitely. that it's just because it's very different from immersive theater that I'm mentioning that as the, as the almost synthesis example, it is not that, but anyway, right. I digress. Um, so <laughs> what, what do you think is the value of play? I think play is everything. If, uh, if play is, one of the foundational components of creativity, discovery, and exploration. Um, one of the things I always encourage, and like I said, uh, we've, you know, I've been doing training and, and workshopping with our cast over the summer. And you want to give people and audiences, um, performers and audiences, the opportunity to play and try and discover. And I tell them, I'm like, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, great. It's don't worry about being wrong. Don't worry about it being the wrong answer. Because as kids, you know, our, our view of play, our, our level of creativity is just, we can create a world. We can just discover and we don't have to, we're not worried about, should I do this? Should I not do that? What you know is this right or wrong? We just do. We just play. We we can create a world out of anything as children, and we have to as experienced creators, and hopefully to get audiences to do this as well. Retain that sense of play, so that you can discover new ways of doing things and new answers to questions that you might not have discovered if you had limited yourself to a rigid way of, it has to be done this way, it has to be done that way. This is the answer. There's no, you know, there's nothing beyond that. Oh, um, all right. 
you just definitely yeah. flipped a flipped a light bulb on um in my <laughs> uh, <mind>. okay <laughs> excellent um specifically yeah. with the word rigidity there um mm. i will elaborate on this um probably after we finish recording but just um in brief sure. summary referencing rigidity and that connection with play being stuck because of you know fear of failure fear of falling just general risk mm-hmm. perception then being connected yeah. with play um that also potentially links to rigidity in the way that kind of we perceive the world around us and the way that that could transfer or translate mm-hmm. into rigidity in like human habit or things like anxiety or yes. depression like i said i'll elaborate a little bit more um as just yep. to make sure that we're not jumping in too deep into that um in this exact moment in time but sure. yeah in brief summary um yeah yeah that that's a connection i hadn't put together before yeah i i think i think play is you know something that is something it you know on a broader scale even play is something that keeps you alert keeps you active keeps you mentally and physically keeps you on your toes <laughs> keeps you ready it keeps you ready yeah um and you have to be and that's this is one thing that i i definitely encourage and try to hit home with 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 our cast is you have to be present and ready at all times you have to be ready for whatever the audience is going to give you and adapt to that you have to be ready for whatever your other the your fellow performer is going to give you and be ready to that and and even i as a director do this myself at the, as that I can come into rehearsal with an idea of what we're going to do that day. But if what is happening in the moment dictates that it goes somewhere else, you can't be to use the word again, rigid and say, we have to do X, Y, and Z today. Maybe we'll do X and we'll take X for the whole rehearsal, or maybe we'll do X L and M because we found M in 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 the work and the when you come in with open you know presence and open ability to play and discover you find stuff that you might not have even had in your mind and it may be infinitely better than what you came in with yeah yeah that openness is i think honestly i feel like that's kind of the the biggest or lowest hanging fruit um of kind of a, an unlock for lack of a better word there. But I feel like that's mm. one of the first things that you kind of get to with specifically like in being present, um, mm-hmm. the better that you get at that. I think one of the first things that you start to notice is like, Oh my gosh, there's just a whole nother layer of things happening here of, of understandings that can kind of be, be looked at, be picked up and, you know, turned over if you can be truly present and be open and listen, I think is oftentimes the first way that that kind of shows up. And it's often harder than we think it is. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we think we're, we think we're, Oh yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. But are you actively 
present and listening. Because there's a very big difference between listening and hearing. You know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Massive, massive (laughs) delta between those two things for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and it's tricky because it's like there's not really a, a... a set or finite way to express the difference and kind of what mm. one can what one can gain there. It it's like we not to say that there's not language for it or there couldn't mm-hmm. be, but we certainly don't have it culturally at the moment to kind of express mm-hmm. or pull apart what that process of just being more aware or being more open um and being more present yeah. really looks like. Yeah, I know definitely. It's it's something that is it's also something that is i think more and more challenging in a society where we're constantly bombarded with so much sensory stimulus to where it becomes like overload and then you have to you have to the process becomes not getting you to listen, but stripping away all the noise <laughs> so yeah. that you can listen um, or, you know, smell something. or t- Like that's kind of part of the, the process, especially in incarnation, is stripping it away, getting back to basics, getting back to particular isolation. Like in, that, in, the, in this process, we actually have the audience member blindfolded for a good chunk of the experience. So they because, – because sight is our dominant sense – Sight dominates everything else. So when you take that away and you force people to experience something through other senses and experience it in a different way, and especially with, with you know, just going to a show. How many times do you say, oh, I'm going to go see a show. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to look right, at a painting. Right. You know, yeah. every all of these experiences are visually oriented. So what does it mean when you when you're not going to just see a show? You're going to hear a show and smell a show and taste a show and touch a show. When you, when you, when you, when you present it that way, it's like, whoa, I, I haven't, I, I don't know that I've ever done that, you know, in that, in that manner. And then people go, wait, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a unique experience. And then we feel like there's just like, you know, we are just the, inevitable conclusion of the of the whole Shakespearean the whole world is stage thing I think at some point in time it's just like oh mm. we feel like we're doing so much cool stuff and he just called it he just called it a few hundred years ago that timeline's probably way off my history there is terrible um <laughs> so good but anyway, I wouldn't have called you on that I don't know as we uh, <laughs> as we come up um on time here uh, as much as I regret, I think the the necessity to wrap things up for this particular recording, um, though mm-hmm. I certainly would like to consider potential for a part two because it's been an excellent conversation. We've not fit half of, I think, what could be talked <laughs> about in all these different areas. What? Wonderful. I'm, I'm down. Um, but where can people find you? So uh, our website for Touch and Touch Incarnation is touchimmersive.com, and that has all the information on the experiences, and it has a link to tickets and also our social media links. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Trailblazer Productions. 
And uh, yeah, we 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 have Incarnation opening August twenty third, and then Touch, which is a full length, completely different experience, um, opening September twenty seventh in Los Angeles. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, hey Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Of course, of course, and of course to our listeners out there. Um, everything that has been mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes at immersionnation.com slash podcast. Um, if you have not already seen the Trailblazer Productions things thrown up at in various places on the site there, definitely worth checking out. Um, I mean, as, as I'm sure you have heard, uh, there, there's been an absurd amount of thought put into the development of this in many from many different angles. So go check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please... Rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at ImmersionNation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.